Science and Technology. Co-host and number one fan of Jessica. Um, welcome to this episode of Show Swap, um, Pocket Podcast Network's annual event where all of the shows on the network swap feeds with other ones. Um, so we are on Steampunks, and you can hear uh, on our feed. So we run a podcast called Cult Classics, where we essentially create a new horse movie mm-hmm. every episode it's supposed to be a bad horse it's supposed movie. to be a bad horse movie lately we've been doing a good job which is not which is bad which is bad so um but anyways but soon i don't know when this episode is coming out of steampunks but uh you should be able to hear on our feed them's the facts uh did our recent episode of show swap yes. um so i think that's gonna be fun and exciting yeah. and I'm very excited to hear it. Yeah. I don't know what happened at all, but they were very excited. They were very excited about it. Um, so, yeah, so check out. This is a great time of the year to check out every uh, show on the Pocket Podcast Network because you can hear uh, shows from hosts you're familiar with doing shows that they don't normally do, and you can kind of jump around, discover new things, discover new shows that you like, um, and all of that jazz. So what are we doing today? So, uh, we're not doing cult classics, but we are doing steampunks, and to get a little bit of something that I'm familiar with, and kind of, you know, weave a little bit of cult classics flavor into this, we have a cool horse lady for today that I found. Um, I'm excited to learn about cool horse ladies. Cool horse ladies. Um, so I actually, uh, just found out about this wonderful, cool person, um, when I was prepping for this show, uh, because Brittany recommended to me to find somebody in the horse world, and I'm not super familiar with a lot of, like, famous people in the horse industry, um, so I was like, well, I'll do a little bit of research, and there's quite a few, there's actually, uh, fun fact, there's a Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Whoa. Yeah. I don't think I found this person from that, but I found some other interesting... What's the qualification to be in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame? Like, what... Here's... Okay, here's a question. Yes. What genuinely makes a cow folk? Because I imagine, <laughs> right? It's just... Cow folk. Because, <laughs> you know, combo. Yeah. Um, I imagine it's, what, having a ranch and cows? But, like, there's more to um, it now, right? Because there's, like, yeah. rodeos and yeah. all that stuff. Um, I don't know for sure. I mean, the original terminology of cowboy, cowgirl came from um, people. As that, and they didn't even necessarily have ranches. Mm-hmm. Um, you would herd your cows across the west or across wherever um so that they could you know eat grass and and kind of not wear out one section but like you were taking them from wherever your home base was i suppose to the cattle yards where they would be 
sold off for me because mm-hmm. that's what they did. Um, so that was kind of the original that I know of, at least, of Cowgirl Cowboy. Um, but then I think just the whole feel of, like, the Old West and the, I don't know, yeah, the rodeos and the... I think one of the cowgirls I found that was in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, um, was, like, a trick rider. Okay. Um, and I think also there's one that's in who, she was part of a circus, actually, I believe. Maybe? All I know is that she and her horse actually, like, did, like, a diving act. Okay. Like, they went up onto this board and jumped into a pool that was many feet below them, and the pool wasn't very deep either. And this was as far, I don't know all the specifics of it, but, like, it was literally just, this was a -a one-of-a-kind horse, because horses don't jump into water. Yeah. Shallow water. Yeah. Like, and they're, you know, horses could die from that very quickly. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, so I don't know what the specifications, qualifications are for the Hall of Fame, but... I, I would imagine it's slightly broadened in perspective yeah. since um, the beginning of whenever they started this, but I would imagine it typically has to do with things you, t- you kind of think of when you think of, like, the Wild Wild West or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because I was just thinking, like, it, it seems like a term that's so loosely applied now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. with the Hall of Fame, I was like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, what would you, I know, I know you're not a cowgirl, because you, I mean, well, do you consider yourself a cowgirl? I don't know. I've gone back and forth on that one. Okay. So the one thing I would say is that a pretty definitive split is there's two different main styles of riding. Right. There's Western and there's English. That I did know. Yes. That one I did know. Pretty <laughs> knows, but for our listeners at home, if you don't know, Western riding is kind of the cowgirl riding. So it's, yeah. it's uh, the stuff you see at rodeos or herding cows or any of that kind of stuff. English riding, um, it also has to do with the type of saddle that the horse is wearing, but that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> whole nother episode. Um, so, but English riding is typically, like, jumping or the fancy stuff that most people don't know about, but it's called dressage, and it's almost like... Horse dancing. Horse dancing. I yes. know this. <laughs> yes. We have a cousin who does riding stuff, too, so we, we learn from her Yeah, does well. she do English? She does. Okay. Well, I think she is doing more English now that she's where she's working. Right. She just posted a video on Facebook recently of doing jumping stuff. Yeah, okay. And she, I don't think I commented this, but I was going to be like, you look like you could be part of the Saddle Club. Oh, that's such a compliment, though. Yeah, like, that's that's literally how I felt about it. Like, it was 100% a compliment. Like, she looks amazing. Anyways, besides the point. Yeah. Point is... I would imagine that cowgirl stuff would be associated with Western riding 
types of things. Definitely, so I, think, I think that's the bare minimum. Yeah. So I, I would love to see an English writer call themselves a cowgirl. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but they wouldn't. They're so oh. hoity-toity. No. Well, not all of <laughs> not them Not all are. of them, but at least within competitions, like, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I definitely think a lot of it's lifestyle, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of folks that self-identify as a cowgirl are gonna just be living that kind of ranch life mm-hmm. anyways mm-hmm. so that makes sense to me mm-hmm. but yeah i was curious what the qualifications are for at least a museum right like yeah you couldn't get someone off the street being like i'm a cowgirl put me in there <laughs> <laughs> well obviously a hall of fame you also have to you know have done something something <laughs> worth knowing yeah that's true so that is true Anyways. Anyways, let's talk about our cool lady. <laughs> we have like... That's okay. We want to educate okay. on all aspects here. All levels. Okay. Yeah. So, for today, we have Dr. Phyllis Lowe's veterinary... Oh, I don't... It's VMD. Whatever those letter doctor letters stand for. Veterinary medical doctor, something like that. Hang on. I, I went to look it up and I got something very not what I wanted. Oh. Um, veterinarian medicine doctoris. Oh, it's Latin. Yeah, it looks Latin. Fun. And apparently it's a different it's different than a doctor of veterinary medicine. Oh. So I think it's fancier. I think she's fancier. Oh, well, I mean, I think she's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if fancy would be the word I would use. VMD uh, is only awarded to veterinarians by the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. It's equivalent to a DVM. DVM. Okay. Well, that spoils part of it. She. Sorry. That's <laughs> fine. I just, fun information. We'll, 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 we'll get back to that one. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Um. So, I think one of the, the first things that drew me to her was that she was born in Pennsylvania and Mm -hmm. I was also born in Pennsylvania so I think that's pretty cool um she was born on November 15th 1925 um and she is actually no longer currently living she just passed away last year oh wow 2019 September 30th of 2019 she was 93 wow yes so that's pretty cool very cool lady she has published like five books, I believe it is. Um, so I actually read one of them. Well, almost all of it. <laughs> you don't have to confess all your sins on air. <laughs> I'm very honest. <laughs> you are very honest. Um, so her autobiography is called No Job for a Lady. Um, and it is technically an autobiography, but I guess that somebody else wrote it down while she was telling it to them so i don't know how that works but anyways um and she has a few other books that are published and within veterinary circles she's very widely known um for a lot of the things that she learned and was able to do um but going back to her like growing up life uh she grew up in a suburb of philadelphia okay uh, so eastern pennsylvania and she it said that her parents owned a farm somewhere else in Pennsylvania. So they didn't live on the farm, but every once in a while they would go visit it. Um, I was so going to she... say, Philly's not exactly horse country. Yeah. Now here's the thing. So we both currently live in PA, yes. right? So we're familiar with some of the areas. Right. I've never been to Philly. I don't know if you've been to Philly. I but... actually have, Okay. but I was only 
downtown, so I don't really have a lot of frame of reference. It strikes me, though, as a city, right? So where yeah. you've got a city, you've got city center, and then suburbs, uh-huh. and then the rural, not the rural stuff, yeah. but, like, the suburb rural stuff that's, yeah. like, outside of that. Yeah. So it's, and that point, you're, like, kind of in the city, not really. Yeah. Um, but there's, and there's, like, I would say a handful of cities like that in PA, and uh-huh. then the rest is just... Country. Country. Nothingness. <laughs> Nothingness, lots of Amish. Yeah. Like, all of that stuff. Yeah. So that, it makes sense for horse stuff in PA. Right. For sure. Right. But Philly... Well, this was also 1925. Also true. Philadelphia is actually the biggest city in Pennsylvania. I, yes. I didn't know that, but I believe it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, It said in the book what the suburb was called. I don't remember exactly what it was. The yeah. The place where they lived... Um, I think it, she said she just had, like, a house and, a, like, a garden. Yeah. And so, like, they had some yard space, but not necessarily, like, horse right. space. Right. Um, but I'll get back to that, too. Um. <laughs> Did she ha- do what you wanted to do and have a miniature horse in the suburbs? No. Uh-oh. Better. <laughs> oh, no! Okay. <laughs> we gotta come so... back to this, because I want to just drag you for that for a little bit, and then we'll come. I still think it's possible. <laughs> Okay, we'll come, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Well, actually, I was just about to get there. Okay, well, let's get there. That she um, always loved horses. She was constantly drawn to them. She had a couple little anecdotes of, like, she literally would just um, tractor beam zone out follow horses. Like, yeah. So she would get lost. Like, her parents wouldn't know where she was because she had been walking and just started following horses to wherever. Yeah. And I think, oh, they also said, so she had a younger sister, and they thought that making her take her younger sister with her would slow her down, but it didn't. She literally just took the baby carriage with her to wherever. (laughs) We're going to see horses now. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, but when she was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. now- Remember, this is, so at this point, it's 1935, so money, you know, think about money stuff. She had $25. Let's find out what that is. I'm <laughs> okay. genuinely curious okay. about what that is, like, in uh, this uh, inflation. <laughs> what? Um, this inflation calculator, um, first of all, says that's an inflation rate of 1,791.2%. Um, it said the same uh, amount would be four hundred seventy-two dollars and eighty-one cents. So that, that's a good that makes sense. That's a good chunk of change, yes. though. Yeah. 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 Especially for a ten-year-old. Yeah, for a ten-year-old, like so, it would be as if you know, like if we had saved our allowance for uh-huh. like a year, yeah. two years. Well, I say a year. We wouldn't have gotten four hundred dollars in a year, <laughs> but you know, plus birthday money and yeah, maybe yeah. some chore work and yeah. like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But still, boy howdy, I don't want to think about monetary inflation anymore. Let's oh. talk. Let's talk about horses. <laughs> let's let's go back to the subject at hand. Yeah. Um. So she decided that she had enough money to buy a pony. Okay. And she went about building a stall in their garage. Oh. <laughs> like, literally, legit, like, put up stuff and got bedding. Like, I don't even think she asked her parents before she started <laughs> building this. She just started building it. And then, um, like, a f- 
somebody she was friends with or something. Like, she was, like, showing it off to yeah. people. She's like, look at this stall that I built for this pony for, I'm gonna yeah, get. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, somebody told her that uh, she wouldn't be able to keep a pony. Like, somebody her age told yeah. her that she wouldn't be able to keep a pony in the garage because of, um, hang on, I'm gonna look it up in the book. Yeah, let's get an exact quote. Oh, by the way, uh... So, the reason that she had gotten money was because she helped her dad, um, he had a poultry business. Okay. So, he would bring, like, chickens and turkeys and all that kind of stuff from, from the farms to Philadelphia. Gotcha. Um, and so she got a dollar fifty a week, um, for helping with that. And she would use a nickel of it to get an ice cream cone, which, like... Smart. <laughs> Man, I wish I could get an ice cream cone for a nickel. Yeah, also um, true. I mean, I but, feel like the equivalent yeah. is like a dollar. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. buy an ice cream cone for a dollar. Right, yeah. And then she saved the rest for the horse. So that was how she saved up the money Smart. for the horses. So, so it says, there's some extra room in our garage and I set about building a stall there. It wasn't much of a stall. It wouldn't have held a really athletic guinea pig. <laughs> I considered it a masterpiece. At 10 years old, you absolutely would. Yeah. So, oh, uh, somebody, one, a little boy said, my, my father says you can't keep a horse here. The zoning regulations won't let you. And she said, I had never heard of zoning regulations. Um, and her parents weren't around and she was like distraught. Oh no. So... She, uh, at the time, she, she said, like, all the children I knew, I had unbounded trust in the police. And so she went to the police station and just went up to the guy who was at the desk and starts asking if she can keep a pony in her garage and, like, is on the verge of tears because she wants to be able to have a pony in her garage. And, um... It, and he said, there's no reason why you can't as long as you keep him clean so he isn't a health hazard. And so, so they got a pony. And she had to share Wait, it with... they really c- had a pony in their garage? They really had a pony in their garage. Oh my goodness. Um, her dad fixed the, the stall so that it would, you know, be good for the pony. But she was, she was like, um, really, really careful to make sure that everything was always... Perfectly clean because she didn't want anybody yeah. to ruin her having a pony in her garage. Yeah. I just, I just remember, I don't remember how old you were. 10 sounds correct. Mm. And you were just very adamant that you were going to get a miniature pony because mm-hmm. they were smaller. Yeah. Right? And it would take up less space. Yeah. And then I think there was a joke made at one point about the miniature pony having like a doghouse. Like, the same as a doghouse? Well, so we have this, uh, playhouse in our yard. Yeah. That has the, like, half door that you see on horse stalls. Yeah. And so in my head, I was like, a miniature horse would fit in here. Yeah. Like, this can be the barn for the miniature horse. Yeah. Because it's already got the half door thing on it. Like, we already have this. Yeah, and our parents have uh, about, like, an acre's worth of land. A little less. A little less, but enough, I mean, for a miniature pony, I would maybe. say enough enough space to run and graze. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. right? Right? But, yeah, 
No, I just remember that being like your big plan. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saved up $400 for it, no. but <laughs> it was no. your big plan. It was my plan. Um, I, I think I was a little bit older than 10 because I didn't go to pony camp until I, like 10 was the first year that okay. I actually got to like legit ride horses that I remember. Yeah. I don't know if I ever got to like do it. We didn't really go to fairs growing up, so like you know, no, riding the pony yeah. at the fair thing. I don't think. But that you really always happened. loved horse books. Yeah. So like, your your physical experience was yeah. after that, but yeah. like your. Yeah, I always i I don't remember a time when I didn't love horses, but I didn't actually get to ride until I was ten. Yeah. And then after that, it was just. <laughs> no turning back. No turning back. Apparently, I feel like that's the common experience with horse people, right? Mm, Is it's mm. just, like, one taste, and you're like, well, this is my life now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It is pretty common. Not always, but common. Yeah. It's just, man, a horse in the garage. I love that, and also (laughs) I'm terrified of that as a concept. Like... I don't know how suburb is suburb, right? Uh-huh. So it's like how much space? Right. That's a pony, not a miniature. Yeah. Did they just did she just ride it down the street like a bike? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this is what 1935. Uh. So you know that was kids on bikes in the streets. But right. was it like she would join them with her pony? Like what's going on? <laughs> but also, I love this a lot. I really this is a great anecdote. Well, so the other thing is so. This was my next uh, little note was um, there was a like riding stable mm-hmm. um, relatively close to them. Okay. Um, to their suburb house or their farm? To their suburb house. Um, so I, my guess is that they were, well, so I think at some point it said that where they lived um, had been farms and just recently the city had kind of been expanding out into it so there were still some sections where there was farms or at least like considerable amount of land they didn't really live on a big plot of land but they had yard space and stuff like that and so they were you know technically suburbs but still you know there's still space yeah there there was a bunch of if Anybody ever listens to this from Philadelphia? She kept referencing the main line. I don't know what that is, but apparently it's something very recognizable to people who live in Philadelphia. So, <laughs> People yeah. in Philly, please help. <laughs> please at me and explain. <laughs> at Steampunk specifically. <laughs> so they get very confused about what, what, yeah, what are the information about Philadelphia. Um so, but so this stable that was close to them was called the Four Horsemen. Um, it was an English riding stable. Um, yeah. So I just, it's like one of those things where it's like on the one hand, clever. Yeah. On the other hand, that's so foreboding. <laughs> I don't want to go to a stable called the Four Horsemen. I really don't. I really don't. I don't want to be riding the horse named Death. I really, <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I'm not against horses with fun names or in any way, but that's just too much. <laughs> um, but I think at one point they, oh, so they, they actually started, they got a second pony. In their garage? No, they couldn't fit it in the garage. <laughs> could. I was getting really worried. They couldn't fit it in the garage, so they started boarding both of them at the four horsemen Mm -hmm. um so she would be there all the time and she knew that she couldn't like afford to 
get, like, official, like, riding lessons or anything like that. So she would just hang around and watch people. And, I mean, at this point, she's probably, like, 12, 13, you know. So a little kid hanging around, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, But she actually picked up a lot of stuff from them and was able to become a decently good rider just by watching people. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, is totally fair. Like, you can learn a lot just by watching people. Um, it's actually pretty highly recommended for horse people to watch other higher level horse people. Um, sometimes it's still helpful though to have actual like instruction, but either way, um, so she learned a lot from being there. Um, and then at one point she was, I guess there was a lot of like place like that she could ride around like in yard space or whatever so she was riding back and she went away that she didn't normally go and she came across this um barn and and some acreage that was one of those things where the city had kind of like, taking over, like, part of the land, so the barn and the acreage was just kind of abandoned, almost. Not abandoned. Somebody still owned it. They just weren't using it? They weren't using it. Um, and so she had this grand idea. She's like, I could run, I mean, I don't know how old she was at that point, but she was like, "I, I, or my dad and I can run this boarding place, because then we can keep our horses for free, and, you know, get a little bit of it. Well, not, you'll, and, you know, have the cash to, you know, take care of our horses and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so they actually rented this barn from whoever owned it. They were super happy to let them use it. Um, and so that was where she really started to learn about, um, horse injuries and ailments and kind of started her on the track of wanting to be an equine vet. Um, again, I don't really know what age that was, but she was younger ish. Um, and because she, she wanted to do as much around the boarding barn by herself as she could, because that was one less person that you had to pay to do something. Yeah. Um, she, and learn while yeah, you do it. Right. So she did end up getting a... So the two important things to have... To people to know when you have horses mm-hmm. are a farrier, which are the ones that take care of the horse's feet, mm-hmm. and a vet. Um, and so she ended up getting... Um, finding um, a vet and a farrier that were willing to work with her and help her take care of the boarders. And, you know, she did as much as she could by herself still, but to have a professional to call when there was something really bad or any yeah. of that kind of stuff. Um, to my very limited knowledge, mm-hmm. most horse people don't know how to do horse feet stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a poorly worded sentence, and I'm so sorry that it came out of my mouth. But, like, what I'm saying is I know most horse people know how to, like, if there's a stone stuff mm-hmm. they can get that out but mm-hmm. if like a horse needs reshoot or something mm-hmm. like that they can't yeah. do that a farrier is a very specific trade um and i think that there are some horse people that will learn a little bit of basics of like so horses hooves 
are like fingernails. Mm-hmm. They're constantly growing. They're made out of uh, the same uh, substance, I'm pretty sure, as fingernails. Or very, very similar. Yeah. Um, so they need trimmed or have... If the horse has shoes, the average horse person, not really going to do anything with that. Because the whole process of putting on shoes and everything is a very specific trade that is hard to learn um and requires a lot of tools yeah they don't really have um some people nowadays are starting to keep their horses um barefoot so without shoes and so their horses hooves just need trimmed and you know you still have to trim it a specific way because they're (laughs) sorry there's a lot of like specific science lingo that I could go into and I'm trying not to. I, I feel like you can go into the science lingo and then we okay. can kind of backtrack a little backtrack a little bit. Okay. So horses' feet are very, very important. Um, there's actually a part of uh their foot that's um on the bottom that's called the frog. Mm-hmm. And it's almost and it's on every every hoof on on the bottom. Um, and it's almost like another heart, but it's passive. Okay. In the sense that when it, when they step down, it, um, kind of expands it, like flexes it outward and they pick their foot up again and it contracts and that helps to recirculate the blood up, back up their leg to actually get back to their heart. Um, so the, their, their, their feet actually have some flex to them and that's really important for them to have. And so if their hooves are trimmed incorrectly, then it can hinder the flex, flexion, flexation, flexion, I think it's flexion. Okay. Whatever. Flexing of, of the frog. Um, and then they'll have poor circulation and that can lead to a whole nother host of, of problems. Right. Um, so, so there are some horse people that if their horses don't wear shoes, they can do a little bit of a, a trim if, you know, if they're, the horse's, um, hoof like cracks a little bit and like a little piece falls off or something, they can like file it down so that it doesn't have any more issues or... You know, just, like, really, like, basic rudimentary stuff. But you always, always, always want to have a farrier who knows what they're doing to take care of your horse's feet. Because your horse's feet are very, very important. Yeah, and to my limited knowledge, like, aside from the fact that the the whole circulation thing is part of it, Mm -hmm. um, like, you have to really take care of horse's legs, feet Mm -hmm. and legs, because if you, if something happens, Mm. you don't have a horse anymore. Yes, um, so it's not as dire as it used to be, mm. um, but if we want to reference a bad horse movie that most people have seen, if you've seen or heard of Dreamer with, uh, Dakota Fanning, yeah. uh, that's kind of the one thing that most people know of, is that if a horse has a major injury to one of their legs to where they cannot stand on it, um, it's very, very difficult for that to be healed because horses are built to constantly be standing on all of their legs. Um, laying down for very long periods of time is bad for horses. 
Um, they can lay down for short periods of time, but once it, you know, goes beyond like an hour or two, it's not good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back in the day, it was like, if your horse had a leg injury, you just, you just put it out of its misery because there was no helping it. Yeah. Nowadays, with a lot of the improvements in technology and the whole, Dreamer was based on a real story, so that happened too, but they've, they have made like slings and contraptions where it holds the horse upright, but they aren't putting pressure on all of their legs so that it can give a leg a chance to heal. But it still depends on what the injury is of whether or not it's able to be fixed. But leg injury, leg injuries are very serious um, because it's a, you know, very essential part of of the horse like yeah. they don't really function without their legs yeah <laughs> which seems kind of you know generic or obvious to say but well, it's no. really like cuz here's the thing right like i think they're one of the only creatures that i've heard of like domesticated creatures mm. that that's the case mm-hmm. you see cute dogs with hind leg wheelchairs, wheelchairs all the time or yeah. cats with three legs yeah. or humans with one of them like yeah. in most creatures can adapt uh-huh. their mobility yeah but that's the thing is like it's not just a mobility uh-huh. thing with horses yeah so yeah although the way that their bodies are structured i don't think it would be possible for them to be three-legged like yeah, dogs and cats prosthetics candy. yeah, yeah. well because like dogs and cats that i've seen that are three-legged like the leg that's by itself they can kind of pull it towards the middle of their body to become like a like a tricycle right <laughs> the first thing right that I center saw. aligned yeah but the way that horses like skeletons and muscles are structured they can't do that their horses like their legs can kind of come in towards the center line of their body but it's still like they can't get it underneath themselves enough to support that whole part of their body yeah especially if it's a front leg so horses carry 60 percent of their body weight on their front legs fun fact all right um so you know front legs are very very important um so that makes a difference to right. like which which leg is the injury in and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So so if they only had one front leg, they're not going to be able. I highly doubt they'd be able to support sixty percent of their body weight. They wouldn't be able to go front. anywhere. Yeah, like they could yeah. stand, and that would be it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the other thing too is like their the way that they move. There's a word for it, but I can't think of it. Their ambulation locomotion i don't i don't know yeah but like the way that they move their legs in order to propel themselves forward is so specific to having four legs yeah like i don't i really don't think it's possible with only three yeah just because of the way that they you know shift their body weight around and support themselves as they're moving forward and yeah all that kind of stuff i am no expert on horse movements yeah (laughs) but just from the limited knowledge that i have of their different gates i really don't think it would be possible with only three legs so all that to say all that to say we're going into a little bit more of the veterinary medicine here yes but this is steampunks so i mean it's medicine yeah it's medicine it's this is this is science it's horse science Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. They're no longer called vets. They're called horse scientists. Horse scientists. <laughs> Which, actually, I bet you there's actual horse scientists. I was going to say horse vets. medicine man. <laughs> This is my horse medicine man. <laughs> he does the thing with the, the stuff, and then my horse is a little better. And then my horse is a little better. It's science. Science. <laughs> Anyways, science. I mean, like, I'm a huge believer that science is magic, because it's just, it's so past my, not my comprehension, <laughs> my ability to even conceive of what it is, but I know mm-hmm. it's real, and mm-hmm. I see it, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. People that do even, like, just vet stuff, man. That's so cool. Mm. I love vets. Yes. Anyways, please yeah. continue on this awesome oh. vet woman. Well, we're going to get into more of, well, a little bit more of the vet stuff. And then okay. there's a little, like, um, pause and then come back to it. Sure. Um. So, okay. So, when her, f- so her first pony that she got that was in the garage. Garage pony. Garage pony. As I'm, I'm now calling him. His name was Flash, I'm pretty sure. Oh, come on. Yes, his name was Flash. <laughs> That's a car. <laughs> she hey, I worked with a horse at school that was named Flash. I'm just saying, if your horse is in the garage and it's named Flash, I think that's a car. <laughs> Put some stripes on it, and I think that's a car. Stripes makes it a zebra. No, like racing stripes. <laughs> that's his movie about a racing zebra. We're trying not to make a bad movie here. <laughs> no, or talk a, about that. That's an actual, I know, legitimately a movie called Racing With Stripes. With a zebra, that I is, know. Yes. I know. I don't know if he goes to the Kentucky Derby, but he at least <laughs> goes to some sort of thoroughbred race. Anyways. Anyways. Flash in the garage. Flash in the garage. Who, well, he, so he didn't live in the garage for super long. Okay. Because they moved him to the boarding place and then their own personal boarding place that they started. Right. Um... And, uh, when he, um, when he ended up, so he passed away in 1939. Okay, so, so Flash just died of old age. He had lived for a long life. I don't know if they knew exactly how old he was. When they got him. When they got him. But, you know, he had lived for a long time. So, as she's, you know, crying about her horse dying, she said that, uh, there's so much we don't know about horses, it's not fair. They should get as good treatments as humans. When I grow up, I'm going to be a veterinarian and know all about them. And so this is 1939, and the the vet that was with her, or like that uh, she um, kept on for calls and stuff at their boarding facility was there with her. And she, it, retrospectively, she was like, in 1939, a woman vet was unheard of. A woman horse vet, specifically. Yeah. And so, she's, she's like, he doesn't really say anything, like, negative, but he's also not like, yeah, you can do it. It's yeah. just like, oh, what he said, oh, well, at any rate, you already have your stethoscope, because he had given her one earlier because of some things. Oh. So, he was like. Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess if you want. Yeah. But, like, it was unheard of to have a female equine vet. Um, so, so as she got older, um, she started, um, uh, like, basically hiring herself out to show 
people's horses in horse shows. Mm-hmm. Um, because she had done a little bit of her, of it herself with her own pony. Um, but when then when he passed away, she didn't really have a horse to ride. I don't remember exactly if they mentioned what happened to the second one. Probably something. Something. I don't remember exactly what it was. But basically, so she started hiring herself out to do shows for people. So that was kind of where she started more of her horse, you know, experience. And then she also ended up becoming an exercise rider at uh, the Garden State Track in New Jersey. Well, that was the first one that she went to. And then she ended up kind of expanding her circles. Um, And so... I'm guessing you probably have an idea of what an exercise rider is, but just for clarification, um, at thoroughbred racetracks, um, when the jockeys only ride for the actual races, that's what they do. So when, um, the horse, when horses are just, you know, being trained or having their workouts in between, um, in between races, they would hire exercise riders to ride them. And the exercise riders don't have to be lightweight necessarily um, because it's not a race. It's just a workout. Right. Um, and so she ended up making making money as an exercise rider. Um, and uh, most of the exercise riders at the time were all boys. Um, so again, this she's kind of really starting into this going against the norm of, you know, I'm a girl, but I want to do this and I can do this. Yeah. Um, so there's a few different stories in her book about um, she typically, so she got kind of gained a reputation of just being willing to try anything, um, which is very dangerous, but she, she she just she didn't care she just wanted to do horse stuff and if that was how she was going to be able to do it that was how she did it yeah um so so a lot of like trainers would hire her to work with the horses that nobody else would touch and all that kind of stuff and she um at the first track that she was at she there was somebody um he wasn't the trainer but he was somehow associated with what was going on that Um, would give her a lot of, like, advice and tips and things, um, that helped her out a lot with being able to ride these horses that nobody else would, would want to ride. You know, you have horses that would run away from you, you had horses that would, um, what was the other one? Do a funky little dance. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, like, some of them would just straight up, like, you couldn't get them to stop. They would run away. Some of them, you couldn't get them to go because they were what's called track sour. They didn't really want to do it anymore. Um, you would have horses that, you know, if you weren't careful, they would get their head down between their knees and start bucking to get you off. Um, you know, just all of the problematic horses. So yeah. She got a lot of experience with difficult horses because that was what she ended up getting to ride most of the time because yeah. she was the only one crazy enough to try to work with them. There were a few um, times, though, that where she would she got injured because of dealing with that. But she kind of tended to, in her book, she really tended to kind of just chalk it up to that's just what happens when you work with horses, which... 
really a lot of time, like, as a horse person, if you're consistently actually with horses, you're probably going to get injured because there's just, stuff happens. And yeah. And they're unpredictable and, you know. They're big. They're big, yes. <laughs> they weigh... Uh, typically 1,200 pounds, sometimes all the way up to 2,000, depending on the type of horse, breed of horse. Yeah, it's like the um, thing with horses is like, even if they're not trying to be malicious, there's a- accidents happen and they're mm-hmm. just big, right? Yeah. You can get squashed yeah. because they're just big. They, yeah. And some sometimes they can be more powerful than they think that they are. Because um, the, the interesting thing about horses is that they're huge, yeah. Yeah. But they're prey animals. Yeah. And I don't know if most people think about that because it's like, oh, it's so big. Like, how could it be a prey animal? But all they eat is grass. Like, they don't eat. They're not carnivores. So, you know, they their instincts are similar. I would, almost I'm going to say similar to those of rabbits. I was just about to say rabbits yeah. would be my first. Like, they're skittish to a degree, yeah. right? Like, horses, I think domesticated ones don't, mm-hmm. like, run away when they see a person. Mm-hmm. Like, rabbit, like, undomesticated yeah. rabbits do. Right. But, like, but if something scares them, their first instinct is going to be to run away. Yeah, self-preservation mm-hmm. at the top. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah, so stuff happens. So she got injured a lot, but... She lived to be 93, so... So she was doing something, right? She, she, she managed. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. And so, uh, through this whole time of, like, being an exercise rider and all this kind of stuff, she, uh, was still on the track of wanting to be a vet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at one point she went in somewhere to say or to ask about their I think she went to the University of Pennsylvania to Mm -hmm. ask about admission as into the veterinary school and all that kind of stuff and um the person that she talked to was not very encouraging I think they basically told her that it was not for women like well just it was just gonna be really hard to get it like because uh it's eight years of schooling because you have to, is it eight? Oh, I don't remember. Eight is a medical doctor, I think. So that would track for a veterinary doctor as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's eight years. Because it's four years of undergrad and then four years of, of like, medical yeah. school. Oh, yeah. She ended up going for nine years just because of some stuff that happened. Um, But anyways, so... So she, but she also knew that she was, like, that was a lot of money for that many years of school. Yeah. And her parents, you know, were fine, but they couldn't, they weren't rich. They weren't going to be able to afford that. So she was like, I have to make money so that I can save up to go to do this. And then all, and she also kind of had to crack down on her, like, high school years because she knew that she had to have good grades to be able to get accepted into School, and I think somewhere she said she was, like, she wasn't really the best student. Um, but she decided that the best way for her to earn more money was to become a racehorse trainer instead of just an exercise rider. Okay. Now, you have to pass a test and get a license 
to be able to be a racehorse trainer. You How can't is that just... the easiest option? You're... Let me just make some money. I'm going to first have to try to become a certified trainer. Right. Whew. Well, she also, that was, so, the. Th- I think being on the track was the thing she had the most experience with at the time because she had been doing exercise riding for many, many, many years. Well, right. not many, many years, but uh, quite a few years. Yeah. Um. So that was like the next step up. Um, and I didn't write down all the specifics because I was, I was starting to get like really deep into the details and I was like, okay, I'm not, I have to condense this a little bit. Yeah. So moral of the story is she passed the test at 19 years old and she was one of three female racehorse trainers in the whole United States. And at that point she was pretty sure she was probably the youngest one at the time i would say i don't think i know any 19 year old Uh horse trainers in 2020 right oh buddy yeah that's a lot yeah so kind of kind of i think that you're really starting to kind of get a feel of of what she was like she was like she was willing to do anything she was a little crazy, and she yeah. was very stubborn, and yeah. she just, if she wanted something, she was going for it. That sounds like coarse people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just from my, like, current pool. Yeah. Kind of sounds like horse people. <laughs> Not all of them. There right. are some horse people I know that are very genuine and sweet and, mm-hmm. like, take their time and are patient, mm-hmm. but, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, I, man, I dig that. 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In what year was that? 19 something or other. Yeah, I don't know. What do we say? 35 was 10. Yeah. I don't want to add nine to five. (laughs) Well, so she would have been 20 in 1945. So 1944. 1944. A 19 year old female horse trainer. Mm hmm. Boy, howdy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So she's super rad, as we've already established by talking about her on this show. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, I have a lot more notes on, like, her earlier life and not so much of what she did later. So I'm going to kind of try to skim through these and then if we, hopefully I have at least some interesting stuff about when she was older. But, like, moral of the story is she's awesome and she lived to be 93 and she did a lot of cool things even until she was 93 so yeah um but anyways going back to her so uh she had to fight to get in to get accepted to the university of pennsylvania for their i don't i guess technically i don't know if at the time they like split it up so that like even your undergrad, you were, like, being accepted into the school of veterinary whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that may have been what it was because she was talking about how um, when she applied and was trying to get in, um, she managed to make the dean of the school like her um, because he was, like, this kind of... I don't remember exactly how she explained it, but, like, you know, kind of, like, a no-nonsense kind of a guy. And he had a lot of respect for people who stood up to him. And he said something to her, and she, you know, fired back exact whatever she said, and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, (laughs) I'm on board with this. But he was the only one 
out of the committee of whoever um, that wanted her to be accepted into the school. Because again, it's 1940-something and female equine vets, that's not a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think even at that point, she was saying it was like female anything. Like, yeah. you were taking up a space that a man could have to be able to provide for his family. Like, you should be at home taking care of which is Your really kids. funny because right at that point, right, we're getting into, what, World War II? Mm-hmm. So then the whole culture has to shift because yeah. the men are off at war. So right. women have to take those positions anyways. Right, right. Because there's no man there anyways. Yeah. Now, granted, I know there was a whole cultural kind of kerfluffle when the men came back and mm-hmm. the women didn't want to give up their jobs. Uh-huh. But that's not a different story. Right, right. It's just really interesting because it's like, it's that that cultural shift right at that time mm. of like... You know, don't yeah. take a man's position. Right. And then it becomes like, wait, please. <laughs> <laughs> we need you. We need you. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess this was kind of before. Because it didn't really... I don't think she really mentioned much about the war in her I don't biography. know how much that would have affected the veterinary practice. Yeah. Because, I mean, yes, on some level, I'm sure that there are men that were vets that mm-hmm. became veterans. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't, it's, it's not the same as like a factory job. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Where there was just a lot of men working in the factory and then they went off to war and now the women are there. Right. right. Like, I don't know how much it would have affected. That's fair. It being, especially if you weren't drafted or enlisted. Mm-hmm. It, Obviously, like, it would affect you culturally, but it might not affect your job mm-hmm. as a woman. Right. So. Yeah. And, you know, horses still gotta be taken care of. It's mm-hmm. not like that job disappeared mm-hmm. when the war started. Yeah. Yep. So, she... Actually, the the, the details of the story was that um, the dean... She she was waiting and waiting and waiting, and this committee was taking forever to decide if they were going to accept her in, because the dean guy wanted her in, and nobody else really wanted her. And then, as she still... She was getting to the point where she was going to give up on it, um, she actually heard on the radio that he had passed away. And she was like, well, that's it. Like, I'm not in now. And she went to her mailbox, and she had the letter in her mailbox that she had been accepted. And she was like, this must have been, like, one of the last things that he did before he died. So she was, like, in shock. Yeah. Wow. And then there's another wrench that gets thrown in. In the the 1940s? (laughs) Yes, please. Tell me what it might be. So the Friday before she's supposed to start, she was doing something at their, the boarding facility that they own. And she noticed that, so there was a horse that had, I'm not even going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it, but something on this horse, like, some sort of medical device needed to be, like, adjusted. And she had gotten a little cocky around horses, and that is always, getting overconfident is bad bad idea with horses because they will always humble you you need to have a healthy fear of horses yes. <laughs> um or at least a healthy respect <laughs> officially from a horse person yes please have a healthy respect of horses yes. at all times yes and don't get overconfident in your abilities 
of dealing with them. Um, and so she went to adjust whatever it was and the horse like threw up its head and just caught her right across the face and knocked her out. Yeah. Um, and so she ended up having to go to the hospital. I'm pretty sure she had to get stitches. And so she started school on Monday, but she had really bad headaches. She was having a hard time being able to like focus her eyes to read. Um, and she asked for a year of medical leave and they said something along the lines of basically like if you drop out now like you you don't get to come back yeah kind of a deal so she tried to power through and just ignore it because that's the kind of person that she is um but she finally ended up having to drop out in january um she basically started to go blind oh wow um and so, um, and she had, like, massive headaches, and it was just not, not working. Um, so she finally, finally dropped out in January. She, like, she really didn't want to, but she couldn't do school. Yeah, you can't really be a vet if you can't see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, whatever doctor she went to was, like, he was like, don't even worry about vet school. Like, this is going to take you a while to recover from. So, just, just, it, you might not, you, it was almost like you might not even be able to do this kind yeah. of thing. Which, obviously, for her, was devastating. Um, but, uh, and there was at one point that they weren't sure if her sight was going to return. Um, which was really hard for her because it was like this is what I wanted to do and I don't want to be a burden on my parents and all that kind of stuff so but luckily her sight did return um she took a whole year to to recover um and save up money to go back and she had to like beg them to let her back in basically and the deal was um the deal that she made with the dean of the school, I guess, was that she wouldn't do anything at the racetracks while she was in school. Because even this, the, uh, not stereotype, but, like, vibe of racetracks is that it's, like, full of criminals and crooks and all that kind of stuff. So everybody constantly was like, you ha- you're getting bad influences from being there, blah, blah, blah. You're going to get hurt, all this kind of stuff. So, but she promised that while she was in school, she wouldn't go. And so that um, convinced them, I guess, to let her back. And she ended up going back. Um, and her roommate um, was actually also a female vet, but she was going to be a small animal vet. Um, which was the more acceptable female vet. It was like, the assumption was if you were a female vet, you were going to deal with small animal. That that was the whole thing, was that not that being a female vet was a deal, was that being a female equine or horse vet was a big deal. Because I think kind of, even like as evidenced by her you know, being an exercise rider and all that kind of stuff was, it was always, the assumption was that horses are big and strong and men are the only ones big and strong enough to deal with them. Right, right. 
So, which is not true. Which is I, <laughs> which is not true in any sense of the word because mm. I, I mean, granted, I have a variety of fr- horse friends, mm-hmm. small pool because I have mostly film friends. Yeah. Um, but the pool of of horse friends I do know, the women are just. They don't take any BS from any horses. It doesn't matter how mm. small you are. It's uh-huh. how big your personality is. <laughs> can you bully a horse? Then you can be a horse vet. I'm just saying. Wow. I just shouldn't saying. bully them. <laughs> and I think the other thing, too, is that not everybody, but part of the like thought process in the horse world is also starting to shift of, like, kind of back then it was, like, these are beasts that we have tamed to work for us. And so, you know, you have to be strong enough to yank their head around if they're doing something bad or blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And and it's starting to shift more to where we're learning more about how horses think and the ways that, um, like, training methods that you can do that aren't with force and are still effective. Um, and so, like, that's kind of more my line of... of knowledge is of more of those kind of things where it's like I'm not I'm not trying to be stronger than the horse I'm trying to work with the horse to you know cooperate on you know let's do this thing rather than being like you have to do this thing I'm gonna force you to do it with all my muscle power that I don't have yeah that's and that's not what I'm saying is right not like strong tiny women I'm saying like uh, showing that you are in charge mm-hmm. in the situation because mm-hmm. a lot of horses, it's not the bullying so much, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this thing. Let's yeah. do it together. Yeah. But listen yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, and I, I, the other reason I mentioned that I think is just because that, you know, that change in thought process probably has also aided to women being equine vets now is because... Back then, it was the, you know, you had to be big and strong to actually physically bully a horse into yeah. doing what you wanted to do. And now, not so much. So, like, doc, Dr. Lowe's was kind of on the the transition point of that, I think. Which was, so it was hard because people still had the old mindset of, like, you had to be big and strong. And she wasn't big and strong. Yeah. Um, but she kind of helped people to see that, you know, you don't have to be physically strong to deal with horses you just have to know what you're doing and use the correct tools or things because you know you do run into horses that are aggressive or have been abused and and so they lash out in certain ways and all that kind of stuff or a lot of times um stallions which are boy horses that (laughs) can still have kids as the most gentle way I can put that. Uh-huh. Dainty way I can put that. <laughs> um, because of the hormones that are yeah. in their body, they can tend to be more aggressive and diff- more difficult to handle. But if you use... Um, there's certain, like, things that you can um, do to uh, put pressure on sensitive points of their face or that kind of stuff so that... You know, you don't have to use all of your force to be like, hey, I'm still here and not have them run you over or all that kind of stuff. And again, it depends on the horse, depends on the situation. Um, but they're, you know, if you know, if you have knowledge of tools and ways that you can handle these kind of horses and all that kind of stuff, like you can do it. You can be a horse vet. Yeah. Be an equine vet. Um, so she graduated in 1957 and... 
she was the first female equine that, at least in the States, um, if not in the whole world. I don't know for certain, but... Yeah. But yeah, so that's why... It's a good chance. Yeah. So that this is why I picked her, because she was the very first female equine vet in 1957, which is not all that long Yeah, ago. I was about to say, that's <laughs> really not that, like, I know we're talking about it like, oh man, mm-hmm. 1920s, yeah. 1940s, but in like the scale uh-huh. of America specifically. Uh-huh. 1957? 57. It's not that long ago. No. Now granted, there's a lot of things that I think that have drastically changed in that time as mm-hmm. as a society there's a lot of things that we've progressed very quickly mm-hmm. with in the past even like 20 years like yeah. a lot of things have changed very very quickly right. in terms of cultural shifts technology shifts all that kind of stuff right but still 1957 isn't that long ago right yes like she just died yeah so, yeah like, last year like there are people alive uh-huh that were Doing things in 1957. It's not that long ago. Yes. Yeah. It'd be different if we said, like, 1857. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there was one quote that I found that I thought was interesting. Um, I think it was one of the first, uh, like, veterinary calls she got after she uh, was officially a licensed veterinarian. Um, she asked why they had called her specifically, and whoever was on the other end said, because I've heard you're crazy and we'll try anything. I (laughs) love that. And she was like, she was like, well, I had to live up to my (laughs) reputation, so off I went. (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah, so that kind of sums up her as a person, was that she was just, she was crazy and willing to try anything. Um, and she also, she also, like, learned a lot about horses um I'm pretty sure her specialization like she could do a ton of veterinary stuff but she started to specialize in um deformities of the hoof that we were talking talking about before so we made it relevant we did we did (laughs) um because um one of her earliest experiences with her boarding thing that she started was with um, horses that had um, issues with their feet and then also there was a like there was just like a couple other times in her life where horses with certain types of foot deformities you know came and she was like hmm and at the time they didn't really know very much about it and so a lot of times vets would say oh there's nothing you can do about that or whatever yeah and there's a lot of things now that we know that we can do and I'm as far as I know, she contributed to a significant amount of it. Like, she had, you know, p- papers published, as yeah. medical people do, <laughs> of, of research about, you know, defor- certain deformities of the horse's hooves and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, she started two uh, equine hospitals in Pennsylvania... Um, and she was the first female equine vet to start hospitals, to start, or to found equine hospitals. Um, it, so, just, like, real quick, like, yes. what, just really, what, yeah. what's an equine hospital? Um, is it just, like, a big stable and they're, like, checking in on everyone? Or? Well, so, it's, it's. 
I just, I can't get out of my head the idea of a horse in a hospital. And I don't think that's right. Well, it's kind of close because they have, so, you know, many years ago, they wouldn't, they didn't do surgeries on horses, but now they do. Okay. Um, it's still risky to put a horse under anesthesia. Um, there is, I mean, it's the same with humans. It's like, there is that risk of them not making it off the table. Yeah, just reacting to um, the anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there and again with like having the horses being laying down for so long, depending on the surgery, like that can also produce complications and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um so it is dangerous depending on what the surgery is. Mm-hmm. Um but it is possible and it is actually something that we do now. Um like I actually had somebody that I followed who had a horse um that was there was she bought this horse as baby Mm -hmm. so as she was growing up she was you know watching to make sure that everything was growing properly and all that kind of stuff and her front legs were starting to go in this i don't remember what it was but certain directions that you don't want their front legs to go um so she actually took her i watched the instagram stories of well i didn't watch the whole story of the surgery but like she actually took videos of some of it because there was like a viewing room that you could see the the surgery room but like i saw some of it and like they just they put the horse under and they do whatever you know incisions that they need to do to fix things and then i didn't know they did horse surgery yes they do horse surgery. that's really cool now how recent like when you say recent is it like 1957 or 2007? Mm. I'm sure we could look it up, but just like yeah. a general. I don't know for sure. I would say probably more in the like late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. So like pretty um, recent. Pretty recent, yeah. Because again, it's like there's so many factors and complications that go into it that it, you know, until they knew more, it was really risky and most people didn't want to yeah and again i mean again it is still expensive and yeah so there are some people i think horse people now like even if they use the horse for something it's still more of a pet rather than a farm tool yeah and back in the day it was like the horse was a farm tool right or just something functional for them so right. it's like they may have been slightly emotionally attached. Not that they, you know, treated it like a machine, although some people did. But, you know, the average horse person maybe didn't. But they still, you know, weren't going to pour millions of dollars into their horse to, you know, keep it moving to herd cows. It was like right. if the horse was out, the horse was out and they were getting a new one. Yeah. So, so I think that's why it's probably more recent because more recently people have been treating them more as um, pets or as, you know, money investments. That's true. Um, so if there's the potential of being able to save this horse and have it be able to still do racing or um, the other big one is like having... I don't have a good way to explain this. Okay. Um, they... Having more horses from them? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> horse dads. <laughs> horse dads. 
we just did a horse dad movie yeah, on but cult it's classics, not the same. but it's not the same. It's not the same at all. It's not as cool as Velvet Dad. But there are some horses that are very the 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 Their breeding genes. and bloodlines. So if you're thinking of like if you know anything about like breeding dogs, it's kind of a similar thing. It's like the bloodlines are really important, and so you can have a horse that's worth a lot. As far as breeding goes. and Because of their pedigree. Yes. Yeah. Although I don't think we consider it a pedigree. With, I don't think we use that word with horses, but I okay. could be wrong. No, I, you're probably right. I think we use bloodlines more than Okay. Pedigree. I was just saying a word that I knew that yeah, was related. Yeah, that's true. No, no, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Um, but yeah, so those kind of horses, you know, it can be up to, well, I don't even know if I want to guess money-wise, but like I've heard of some that's like, you know, it's a million dollars. Not not exaggerating, literally a million or a million and one point five million dollars for what's considered the stud fee, which is like, you know, breeding your this stallion to your mare. Yeah. Um, so they're very valuable investments. Um yeah. so if you know, if you can save this horse so that it continue to reproduce you know that's worth it right in the grand scheme of all of the money things that i don't understand (laughs) yeah yeah there are some people that are horse money people and some Mm -hmm. people that are not (laughs) i am not i am not a horse money person which is never your intention in the first place Mm -hmm. so i think that changes how you approach the situation anyways right but but that that being said you know horse surgeries and things like that are more potentially worth it now for people who have those kind of horses that they, is an investment for them to save. Or they just have a lot of emotional attachment to and they're willing to put the money in. Yeah. And I don't know if the surgeries are nearly as expensive as they used to be, depending on what it is and um, how, you know, common the surgery is, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, so they have... So the equine hospitals that I know of, it's mainly having the actual like surgery room surgery table all of the instruments and then like recovery areas for the horse to come out of the anesthesia and all that kind of you know good stuff that's so i want to look up what horse hospitals look like now it's just (laughs) i don't know it really just is intriguing my brain of like what it looks like aesthetically Mm. well so yes did we did we thoroughly cover your wonderful I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about with her, but I think that would be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. So if you're curious to know more, um, you know, again, her autobiography is called No Job for a Lady, if you're interested. Um, I'm sure there's also places on the internet that you can find out information. Um, But yeah, she, oh, and also fun fact, she never got married. All right. Married to her job. Yeah. She was very, very into it, very passionate, worked very, very long hours, um, but there was it was worth it to her, and that was important. So. Yeah, we can honor her legacy by talking about how cool she is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much to listening to this show swap episode of Steampunks. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a couple of little things to go over. First of all, if you want to hear... Um, Steampunks, I believe the Zach and Emily are going to be over on The Ghoul Tank. Um, I believe that's the episode that they are hosting. Um, and then if you want to hear what's going on in Cult Classics, you can jump on over to our feed, um, listen to any of our episodes we've done, or you can listen, and or, you can listen, I would say and, 
Um, mm. You could listen to Them's the Facts Boys uh, create a new horse movie yes. for us. Very excited. Um, very excited to hear that. Um, if you want to follow us specifically, Cult Classics, you can find us on Twitter at Cult Classics PPN. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to follow Steampunks, um, you can find them on Twitter at Steampunks Pod. Um, I don't remember Emily's <laughs> personal handle, oh. so well, you, you you can find it. It'll you, probably be in the description. If you go to our website, you can find all the information, correct? Yeah, you can find all kinds of stuff about Pocket Podcast Network at Pocket Podcast Network. Dot com. Um, special thanks to the Crips for the use of the intro and outro uh, music Marie Curie. And um, anything else you want to say before we sign off? Um, horses are cool. Horse ladies are cooler. Horses are cool. <laughs> um, you really wouldn't get that impression from listening to our show. <laughs> but horses are really cool. Um, and... Uh, those who are in the veterinary field are just really awesome. Yes. They're just really cool. Yep. Please do your job so I don't have to. <laughs> I don't want to do that. We really need you. Yes, I need you. Please, thank you. Please and thank you. All right. I'm Jessica. And I'm Brittany. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam-powered horses. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.